Hey, it's Laura. If you're listening to this, you're not hearing the complete unedited version of this conversation. If you want in on that, you can get it by becoming a TMST Plus member. Just head over to our website at tmstpod.com and click support. All right, enjoy the show. Hey, Laura here. Oh my goodness, did I love talking to today's guest. Loved it. I've known about Nadia and her work for probably over a decade, and she's always felt like somebody I just knew I would love talking to and hanging out with. And I was definitely right, but I had no idea how much I would need this conversation. So let me introduce her. Nadia Boltz Weber is an ordained Lutheran pastor, the founder of the House of All Sinners and Saints in Denver, Colorado, the author of three New York Times bestselling memoirs. She's a mother and also recently celebrated 30 years of sobriety. She writes and speaks about personal failings, recovery, grace, faith, and as she says, she always sits in the corner with the other weirdos. Nadia is probably known to many of you, and I know for others, this will be an introduction. So through her actions, Nadia is a role model for speaking bravely and grappling with uncertainty. She's definitely not one of those people who tries to pretend like she has it all figured out, and that's one of the many things I loved about talking to her. In fact, her whole thing is about admitting she doesn't have it figured out and letting us into her process. I know when I first got sober, I would have loved to have been able to sit with her like we did for this taping. In this conversation, Nadia urges us to take a breath and step forward into life with courage, an open heart of acceptance, a bunch of humility, and especially a big old sense of humor. I hope you love it. I feel like you're really amazing at giving people permission to just be wherever they are. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to do right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just to ground (laughs) us and everyone listening in space and time, it's winter second year of this pandemic, it feels like this, it's gone on so long that I think we forget it's even going on. We've come up with new ways to put on this, like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's normal face in this time. So I want to ask you, because you, you know, in your community, and those you touch, how, how do you feel like we're doing <laughs> overall? I think no one's doing well. And this is the thing my best friend Jody keeps reminding me. So we're the kind of friends that talk probably every other day for, for at least 45 minutes. Wow. And so we talk about, you know, 
what we're cooking and what it was like to go to the store and what our kids said. I mean, that level yeah, of checking yeah. in. And yeah. so anytime I'm like, oh, this thing happened and this person did this and it was so annoying or whatever, she goes, oh, honey, nobody's doing well. And it was, it's just this, I, I don't know what to do, but have that response as often as possible right now. You know, I went to the grocery store last week to Sprouts and I put, I don't know, six to eight things in my basket. And then I look over, there's one cashier, bless her heart, one with 25 carts like snaked through the store. And I just like politely put my six to eight things back where I found them and left. But like, there are no systems that are doing well. There are no people that are doing well, organizations. And so, and it's interesting when you're someone who knows, I know a lot of other public figures. So I know when you're, when you do a certain kind of work, you know, other people who do the same work. And it's very interesting being privy to what people are really struggling with and then what they write on Instagram. I'm not saying they're not being false, but sometimes the voice that you hear on Instagram from people who are like public figures or influencers or whatever is, is a pep talk they they've had to give themselves, but they're giving it to you. And it can make it seem like they already have that figured out. Like they're the dispenser of comfort and wisdom. But if you know, and it makes it seem like, well, they're doing really well and they're just here to support those of us who aren't. And that is not the case, man. I keep saying to people, like, I'm trying to be honest right now. People are like, how are you? And I'm like, I've had a rough few months, man. I've, it's, it's been a hard hit. Our baseline now is grief. Basically, there used to be Ugh. a turn-taking aspect to grief. If I was grieving, you probably weren't. You could come alongside me. You could give yes. me comfort and support. That's gone. Right. The baseline is grief now. Yes. So, like, I'm trying to say, like, I've had a hard hit the past few months. I'm not showing up in the same way I normally do. I'm a little low, you know, lower energy than I normally am. And I'm okay. And I truly am okay. Because Mm -hmm. from 30 years of sobriety, it has given me an emotional weight-bearing structure in my life. Do you know what I mean? Like, it can withhold lots of weight, actually. It doesn't mean I don't feel the weight. It doesn't mean I'm not affected by the the emotional weight, but I can bear a lot because it's like you become sort of anti-fragile in a sense. That's such a good word, anti-fragile. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally feel like sobriety prepared me for the past couple of years and there, but there were points when I, when it was too much, you know, there were points when it's not been okay, but I've, I've, I have been okay. I've been okay. Things haven't been okay, but I've been okay. So I totally know what you mean. So how are you? How are you now? (laughs) How are you doing like today? Um, I'm on a, my girlfriend group chat, (laughs) my group text with my, my women, uh, one of them popped on, hadn't been on for a couple weeks saying that they, they're like, cautiously hopeful suddenly like they're finally feeling some hope and a couple of them popped on and said I'm finally feeling hope 
and I guess if you ask me how I am today, I am feeling a little bit of hope only because those women are feeling a little bit. I don't personally have any right now, but, yeah. but the fact that these women who are brilliant, powerful, incredible women are start and they're honest, they're not, they're not full of vapid optimism. You know, right. the fact that they're willing to be vulnerable enough to say, I think I'm feeling a little bit of hope that gives me a little, this is a theme you keep coming back to. And, and you actually listened to one of your, the moth uh, talks that you gave. It was about this trip you took to Jericho and riding the, like how riding a, a bus off the side of a mountain was like your worst fear, like, and how you, <laughs> you were there with these people that you didn't really want to get to know, basically that you're not a good joiner. You keep talking about, and you, and you do this in your writing and you do it everywhere that you are a part of, like you've learned to be part of, like where, how did you learn that? I have a guess, but how uh, am I? Or I like you've feel... learned to okay. the grace in a, in a, in a support system, like yeah. the rowing club. Sure. Yeah. Like my AA meeting. So I, I just feel like I should confess something to you that, um, I, that story of having a panic attack in front of 30 super nice Lutherans from Wisconsin while in the Holy land, uh, and the humiliation of that and not being a good joiner. I think I was there, like, I want to say nine years ago or something. And I just walked the Camino do you know what the Camino is? I do. Okay. So I just walked this thousand-year-old pilgrimage. Everyone talks about the Camino family. I was I was like 10 days into it when I texted my best friend. The Camino is hard when it ends up you don't like most people. So, I mean, I am still... I, I eventually, three weeks into the Camino, took a taxi cab ahead a whole stage to get away from the people. Oh, but I, but yeah. I want to say something about that. Okay. The day after I broke away from the group, because I was in my head so much about these people are annoying you because, because you're a horrible person, because there are other people on the trip who are unfucking bothered. They are unbothered by the Canadian mansplainer who happened to start the same day as we did and I couldn't shake off right they're unbothered by this and so I thought because they're good people and I'm a horrible person this is why I always have this struggle and I finally escaped I got ahead a day and then I did 10 days no actually two weeks totally alone uh, like completely alone and I was blissed out. <laughs> and on the first day, I was—I started laughing. I couldn't see any other pilgrims. I—I uh, I was on my own. I start laughing. If somebody saw me, they'd be like, "This woman's lost her mind." Because I start laughing out loud, and then I stop, and then I just like start laughing again. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but the reason I was laughing is like the folly of the whole thing, the folly of thinking I will finally be a different person than I am. And mm. I am here to report that has not really happened. <laughs> and so I realized it was a moment of acceptance actually of myself because I, I said to myself, Nadia, 
you are a keen observer of yourself and of other people. And maybe that's your brilliance, Mm -hmm. but maybe it also precludes you from ever successfully being part of a group. And that's okay. Oh God, I love that. (laughs) I'm so glad you shared that. We're going to talk about acceptance because to me, that's like where this is all going. Okay. So I want to talk about faith. I feel like it's crazy to have you on and not just go for it. But about the comforting, grounding, as you say, like grace and grit type parts Mm -hmm. of faith. Yeah. You know, there are all these legit conversations about dividing and dehumanizing ways faith is used against people. And we don't need to talk about all that. There are places for that where that's happening and they should be. And um, I've been having those actually on here too. I don't have any particular faith at all, but I, I am a very spiritual person and I feel I love the word faith. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about faith that grounds us, whether someone is in a community or not. Because I work with a lot of people in recovery. Lots of them have stuff around God and faith, and they just Mm -hmm. can't do it. Some of them don't. I feel like overall faith is not a great word for people, but it's the best word that I want to talk. I want to talk about it. I want to say faith and maybe redefine it for some people. Mm -hmm. So to start this off, so Michael, who you met, the producer, is um, part of your Substack community. And he pointed out that you've been thinking about how faith and prayer is portrayed on TV and films, something you've been talking about lately. And you said these portrayals are either garish and embarrassing or (laughs) over-sentimentalized delusional fluff. And you said, rarely do I ever see faith portrayed in ways that are familiar to me or that feel Mm. like they have grit and grace in them. Mm. And you referenced that final prayer scene in Don't Look Up. Yeah where Timothy Chalamet's character is this unlikely source of faith and spirituality in the film. He's a great vessel for what faith could look like because he doesn't look like anything that, you know, that we would traditionally say, God comes in that package. Yeah, but those are the only ones I trust. I mean, when it comes down to it. (laughs) Right. That's why it works. Yep. So for people who haven't seen it, uh, when the meteor is about to hit the earth, the, the key figures are sort of gathered around this final meal. And someone suggests that it might be appropriate to pray over the meal. And he steps up. Well, we're not the most religious here in the Mindy household, but um, maybe we, should we say amen? Should we do that? I mean, don't look at me. I don't know how to say why you just say amen. I don't I got this. I got it. Dearest Father and Almighty Creator, we ask for your grace tonight, despite our pride your forgiveness, despite our doubt. Most of all, Lord, we ask for your love to soothe us through these dark times. 
may we face whatever is to come in your divine will with courage and open hearts of acceptance. Amen. Amen. Wow, you's got some church game. That was beautiful. That just made me tear up. I, okay. <laughs> I just think I, I could spend hours cataloging the crimes and misdemeanors of religion. Honestly, I could, and I've done a lot of that. And yet there's like a need in the human being that religion has always met. I mean, religion has fashioned itself in endless variety, human faith communities and practice and symbol systems and scriptures and, uh, you know, ways of marking the year have are abundant throughout history. Every time and place we have done that as humans because there is a need in us that it meets. And I get that we live in like this increasingly quote secular age, but I just don't think that those needs have gone away. And so that's why at the end of the world, what did people lean towards? They didn't say, Hey, I feel like we should join hands and do some affirmations. <laughs> right. Right. It wasn't power of positive thinking. It wasn't manifest date. The fuck are they going to manifest at that point? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, it's not, right. you know what I mean? It's none of that. It's like falling on your knees. I love that. I love that song at Christmas. Oh, Holy night where it says fall on your knees. Like there are moments where what the fuck else do we have at our disposal? And so I, I loved I, I loved the words of the prayer too, talking about like, look, despite our pride and despite, you know, everything about us, we request that some sort of divine presence be around us, that we can face what is to come with courage and open hearted acceptance. Oh, I mean, isn't that what we need right now is we just need some courage and open hearted acceptance, you know? Yeah, I think that's why, well, and it works somehow, it works in that movie. There's very few actually sentimental moments in it um, that aren't so overdone. They're meant to be parodies of whatever that is they're portraying. And that's it's one a of- cynical movie. It's a it's cynical movie. It's very cynical. Yeah. But that that part isn't. And Jennifer Lawrence is an atheist, his girlfriend, and she leans over and kisses him and says it's beautiful. So yeah. we've tried to just get rid of religion. And you're absolutely right. It comes back because we are it's it's part of who, who humans are. And when we take away formal religion as we've understood it, it gets replaced with other types of religion. 100%. I'm, my friend David Zoll wrote a genius book last year called Seculosity, Ooh. which is basically making the case that for of what you just said, that we think we've gotten away from so many aspects of religiosity, because we've exited, you know, organized religion. But truly, we're just substituting them for other things. Like, instead of really trying 
to only think pure thoughts. Now we try to only eat pure food, right? Instead of yammering on about how much time we spend at church, it's how much time we spent at the gym. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the way that we're earning our ability to think of ourselves as good and righteous, that hasn't gone away. And then leveraging that to assess how good and righteous others are in comparison to our efforts and our accomplishments in these well, that's things. The big, that's the big payoff in, when it goes dark. Politics is what I think of first. You know, people will get religious in their politics and then it becomes, it's not like they have ideas anymore. The ideas have them. Yeah, it's ideology. I mean, that, that's why I say, like, I, I really do think our drug of choice right now is just knowing who we're better than. I find the ubiquity of ideology to be extremely disturbing right now. If I feel a lack of hope, it's not COVID. It really isn't COVID. It's us. It's the fact that our, our worldviews and our view of each other have been so manipulated for cynical gain of certain, you know, businesses. I feel like we all need a cleanse, you know, like a huge cleanse of all of our assumptions about ourselves and other people. And because it's so, it's just so toxic. And I don't know, I don't know where the path out is, you know. Well, I was going to ask you, how do you, how do you do it on a, you you may not know the path out. I don't know that anybody does, but how do you do it on a day-to-day level? How do you get how do you check yourself? Yeah. I mean, I it's so not like creative or sexy or interesting. <laughs> it's just like I ask myself, hold on, this thing you're so upset about, is it actually happening right now? Like, yeah. is it real? Do I know with certainty it's real? And is it happening right now? And and if not, then what is real and happening right now? Like who who are the people who are actually in my life, not the ones that I'm having reactions about who aren't in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just try and get back to the present moment, the present situation, sometimes even the room I'm in, you know? Right. I mean, we 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 don't have an unlimited amount of emotional energy in our lives and we squander so much of it reacting to things that actually that reaction in us is very profitable to clickbait and ad revenue. It's so pernicious. Yeah. I mean, I was the subject of a fake news story uh, in 2019. So I got to see how it worked. And it was fascinating to me. And I, I, I won't go into the whole thing. I mean, unless you're desperate to hear it, but it, it, it was that there was one line that I said in an interview of a gay ma- man's mag- men's magazine in like Pittsburgh, right? That a, a conservative news organization that's prone to not like me, <laughs> that like doesn't has written stuff against me before, took that one line, changed the whole wording of it, perfectly crafted a headline that was genetically modified to stoke the moral outrage of conservatives, honestly. And then they published it. And so what happened was this, it was so cynically crafted for that reaction for a certain population, they were 
a victim of their brain chemistry and their reactivity before they even knew that's what was happening. And they're like, this is what's wrong with the world. Click. And then that person gets ad revenue. Right. And I saw it happen and I saw it spread. And then I saw different news outlets writing version of the story that this part, this one, it was so gross. And then I got this sick feeling because I was like, oh my God, how often has there been a headline that was genetically modified to stoke my liberal moral outrage? And I'm like, oh my God, this is what's wrong with the country. Click. And then that asshole gets ad revenue. And it was humbling when I realized that. Yeah. So sometimes we have these moments ourselves where we get, <laughs> it's our pride gets interrupted, I guess. <clears throat> and we get to experience what it's actually like. So uh, you said something though, like going back to what helps you is sometimes just going into the room that you're in. There's, and this, this goes back directly to sobriety for me because I was in this yoga teacher training many years before I got sober. But, um, I talk about the story in my book where the, the teacher, we would all go, we'd have these like weekend long sessions. And then at the end, everyone's kind of tapped and just emotionally rot. And we would, share how we were doing. And one of the guys, and I, I had worried about my drinking for a long time, but I would never vocalize it. Mm -hmm. He stood up and said, just seemingly, you know, just like no, no pretense, no caveat, no nothing. He just said, I'm afraid I can't stop drinking. The whole room went. And yeah, our teacher said, he was so amazing. He said, of course you can. Are you drinking right now? Mm-hmm. And he said, no. And he said, okay, how about right now? He said, <laughs> no. Yeah. He said, how about now? And then we all kind of started to like smile. Yeah. And I never forgot that because mm-hmm. what was happening right now, yeah. addiction is more complicated than all that, but what was happening right now was that he was just sitting in a room right. with a bunch of people having done a bunch of yoga and he was saying yeah. something honest and he wasn't yeah. drinking right then. Right. Right. And I remember that story all the time. Like huh. the past two years, it's just been like, it, it, it got me through early sobriety and it got me a lot of times through 2020 and last year. It's like, what is actually happening right now? Because mm-hmm. what would happen is I would pick up this yep, and I would think someone's coming to get me. I'm fucked. Yeah. We're all fucked. What's in there that yeah. is it just for you? Is it acceptance? Is it presence? Is it faith? Is it what, what is in that, in that room when you go, okay, what is happening right now? I try and like, I try and just think what, what's the most real thing right now? Like is the most real thing that maybe five years from now, I won't have the same income and won't be able to afford the house that I just bought. Is that the most, is that the most real thing? (laughs) I mean, we do have to think about the future. It's not, I mean, there, there are ways that there's some planning that uh, is a, is not a bad idea to undertake, but my, my boyfriend's a software guy and he talks about one of the worst things you can do when writing code is called pre-optimization where you think, 
okay, I'm going to think about the contingencies in the future, things that could go wrong or things that we might need this code to do. And Mm. I'm going to now in the present, write that in. And he goes, it's the kiss of death. And I think that emotional pre-optimization can be the kiss of death too. It's like, I'm I get anxious about how I might have anxiety in a situation that that is coming up. That's a waste of my fucking life. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, so the ways it it's just it really is the most basic spiritual teaching that the present moment is the most real thing. What is happening right now? And it's very hard. I I am in a holding pattern in some pretty big stuff, some medical tests, some big stuff right now that I am just waiting. Mm -hmm. Could be life-changing or might not happen. And there is fuck all I can do about it. But I'm in the holding pattern. So it's like every time my mind starts, it's getting, it's like a chew toy for my brain. I kind of go, hold on. There's stuff now I could be, I could actually have started making a soup already with the amount of time (laughs) and energy I've spent either lamenting what I did or didn't do or others did or didn't do in the past, which isn't real anymore, or worrying about what, I might do or not do or what might be taken away from me in the future, which is not real right now. And I mean, that's why in John's gospel, it says there's so many I am statements. Jesus says, I am this, I am this, God is this. And it's not, I was this, or I will be this, but I, the I amness of the divine, Mm. it means that it is present in the moment we're in always. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings in the big book, which I'm not a, and I love the 12 steps. I'm not a huge AA person, but I love the 12 steps. And one of the lines that I absolutely love speaks to this. It's, you know, God is everything or or he is nothing. What will you have it be? Because what I was going to ask you next is what if the moment does suck? What if you do get the the news? What if, Mm -hmm. what if you sit there in the moment and you're just in Mm -hmm. extraordinary pain what do you find there? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think I think the best thing we can do is honor the realness of it again. Because if we try and escape, we're just sort of, um, you know, anytime I don't deal with some big emotions or some big truth, I want to escape it. It doesn't go away. It just sets up a refugee camp in my lumbar usually, and I end up with back pain. So, (laughs) but um, that's your holding house for pain. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but the point being like, I I think the answer is the same. If that is the most real thing, then we have to acknowledge it. Like, like the prayer said, like, accept courage and open-hearted acceptance you know of yeah this sucks it's not going to suck forever mm-hmm. i have found even it's almost in the moments of the mo- of the most extraordinary pain when i when i dro- drop really all the way in which means trying to get get rid of all the stories the spinning out and yeah i've been always met by what what feels like god to me in in that mm-hmm. moment more than anywhere else 
farmer would oh, yeah. when I'm feeling joy oh, yeah. or when I'm feeling happy or when I'm feeling, totally. you know, just cruising along. It's in that suffering in that place. Totally mm-hmm. suffering. Yeah. I mean, suffering. It, I mean, that's a sort of basic tenet of my, uh, my sort of Christology is the idea that, that God is present in, especially present um, and salient in human, not causing human suffering, but bearing it alongside of us. For being a theologian, I feel like my, my own beliefs have gotten so much more simple than they've really? ever been. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Simple's just hard so... though. Simple, simple takes a lot of experience and work. Simple is not easy. Well, it was a lot of uh, degrees to get there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and li- but, probably more life experience. But like, what it is is that the mystery of the universe—it is so. You know those space pictures where they're like Hubble telescope pictures where they they zoom out and out and out. It's like here's our planet, you know, here's our moon, sun, our solar system, you know, and that's the point at which I'm like, okay, I'm good. Or maybe our galaxy. And then I'm like, I, I would have been a great medieval person, like just the dome. I'm very comfortable with the dome. But <laughs> yeah. more than Don't that, zoom out I, anymore. Right. No, it's like an act of aggression against me when they keep going. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and so they just keep going. And so then they're like, and our galaxy is part of this cluster. And that cluster is a pinpoint mm-hmm. of this huge thing. And this huge thing, but you know, they just keep going. And the mind cannot, cannot comprehend it. Okay. We have yet to find life as we define and understand it anywhere else. Anywhere else. I know. That's that's all. And then like somehow it's here and we got to be a part of it. We got to be conscious that the fact that 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 happened, the origin of that happening to me is God somehow. Mm-hmm. mysteriously mm-hmm. the origin of that happening is god and it and it had to do in some way with grace because we couldn't earn the right to be here all our virtues could never earn the right for the sun to rise in the east ever and so to me the whole origin of the universe is the heart of god this incredible grace that that life gets to exist and we get to eat pizza for fuck's sake. We get to eat pizza and I have a dog. You know what I mean? Like unbelievable. Okay. So, (laughs) but what that means to me is that that's that God or the divine, that grace is our source. That's where we Mm. came from. Mm. And that we live in a world that has so many difficult things that there's pain, there's beauty, there's suffering, there's love, all of this stuff. And that what it means is that as a human being moving through it, we all try to like, so many of us strive to be righteous, strive to be good, strive to have virtues, to be a good yogi, to be a good Christian, to be all this shit. And I'm like, I want to write a book that just says, try less hard, meaning like you should. everything that we need, we have already we have access to it. That source, we get a draw upon it. When I am a cold hearted bastard and I do not have enough compassion for the person in front of me, it's actually okay because mm. I can draw upon the, this incredible source of compassion in the divine that I'm 
always connected to and will always be connected to. So that's Mm -hmm. what I mean when I say there's enough, there's enough forgiveness, there's enough grace, there's enough love, there's enough mercy, compassion, all of those things. And it doesn't have to originate from us. It can originate from our source. And then somehow when we die, we are united again with that source. And on the most basic level, that's what I believe. Wow. Yeah. All I was thinking is just, it's so simple. Why can't we, why are we made in such a way that we have, that we fight that? Hmm. Yeah. Well, why did Timothy Chalamet's prayer include the word pride in it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, right. despite our pride, you know? Right. Like, I don't know, but that's the Garden of Eden story, man. It's like, yeah. it's never enough for God to be God and us to be creatures. We well, want to be we God do need too. To do. We need something to do here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? The, like, couple projects big adventure yeah we need we need we need some kind of adventure I honestly feel like that's like yeah I I could go on down a whole tangent how do you hold the work that you do now how are you holding it today in January of 2022 with uh, like enormous gratitude to be honest because somehow I get to be a person for a living I mean, all I do is just kind of try and be as honest as I can about what I struggle with and, and what I feel like helps illuminate things for me and what changes me if only by a degree, but it's a degree I needed to be changed by, you know, I I mean, I just try and be as honest as I can in my own life and inside my own heart that, and then I share that with other people and they find it meaningful my friend Kerlin, she's a, a priest in Portland, and she describes it, the work that I do is like basically sneaking into the cathedral, looking around for the most beautiful, valuable stuff, hauling it into the front yard and slapping a free sign on it. Like, oh you don't, oh like, you don't, you don't have to be a member of the cathedral. You don't have to co-sign on all of the stuff that's challenging in order to get like the really valuable, beautiful stuff out of this Christian teaching and practice i'm uninvested and if people intellectually assent to the same theological propositions i do i don't care that's why you or not that's why it works yeah that's why it works yeah so i guess i'm just grateful and i'm and i i remain convicted that that even even the church can't kill the gospel. I mean, that's saying a lot because yeah. we have tried. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that though. there's something so I think that the story of Jesus is just the most true thing in the world in some way and like even the church can't destroy it. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm the executive producer of Tell Me Something True, and I co-created the show with Laura. We built TMST and our online community with the hope of creating a sane spot on the internet. We're really passionate about the ad-free nature of this work. Our belief is that this project will work best if we're not hustling to keep advertisers happy, and we keep our attention on you, the TMST community. This is where you can play a major role. 
TMST Plus is the membership group that helps to keep this podcast going. Whether it's through a monthly membership or a one-time contribution, TMST Plus members are vital to this experiment. As a TMST Plus member, you get to join Laura for member-only events, send in questions for the guests, hear the complete unedited interviews, and connect with other TMST community members. You know, sometimes we feel like we can't make a difference in the world. With a TMST Plus membership, you can be keeping this space alive and thriving for a one-time gift or for as little as 10 bucks a month. You can find the link in the show description, and then please head over to tmstpod.com right now to support the show. And thanks. Let's go back to pride. Pride and forgiveness. They're not exactly two sides of the same coin, but often pride drives behavior that isn't great. And then this need to seek forgiveness. What do you think about those two things Mm -hmm. and how they relate in your experience? Well, I think pride and being proud of something are two different things. So I think it's, it's important to say that, like, I'm proud of the podcast I created, right? But to be prideful about something is very different. I I guess I think of pride as the sort of um, the way in which our ego does not help us. And so there are a million ways that my ego will defend itself against any kind of narrative that's different than the one it needs to sustain its idea of itself. It will, you know, it will resist criticism. It will see faults in others and never see it in itself. I mean, there, that's just like this, this human thing. And um, there's this theologian at Cambridge, Simeon, actually, he's the brother of the guy who wrote Seculosity. He did this amazing lecture at the Mockingbird Conference a couple years ago about sin. And he made a suggestion that I've just run with, which is, you know, sin isn't these, you know, delicious, naughty things that that bad people do in private and should know better than to indulge in. Sin is, he says, it's hiding in plain sight as cognitive bias. And I was like, Oh my God. Things like wow. confirmation bias, right? The fact that I saw this video, it's like, look, unless you're a, you know, you have graduate degrees in science and you're conducting experiment experiments that are replicatable and then reviewed by a team of your peers, you're not doing research. You're Googling shit that you already agree with that's called confirmation bias right it was just so genius say that again sin is because that i I had to like that bent my brain a little well i mean when people hear the word sin they they usually think of you know these naughty indulgences that you shouldn't participate in but he's saying that he thinks it really is sin is just a state that human beings have like we like it's this it is a continued the continual imperfection of human beings. It's the fact that no matter what we actually want, 
the system keeps throwing up errors. <laughs> you know, we keep yeah. breaking relationships and systems and the planet and like, yeah. like it's it the doesn't without, stop. The withoutness or the lack, the lacking inside of us that just yeah. is. Yeah. There, there's a guy named Francis Spufford who wrote a book called Unapologetic. And he says that sin, he considers sin the human propensity to fuck things up. That's his there definition, right? Yeah, yeah. And good. so Simeon goes on and says, look, it's actually cognitive bias that's how we know that this is who we are is that there are a million ways that our pride our ego will change the information coming in to suit itself yep <laughs> you know yeah uh, the fundamental attribution error it's saying oh. it's attributing like if if you get a job a really great job i'm like well uh, it's nepotism because she knew someone there. If I get a really great job, it's You're because great. I worked hard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I, that is just part of human beings. And it's hard for me sometimes because so much of the self-help wellness community rejects any kind of human culpability. It's, mm. it's bizarre to me. And so I, I mean, being an alcoholic, it, you know, I have to sort of go, where am I being self-seeking, dishonest, resentful, fearful? It's a continual assessment, honestly. And that's not low self-esteem. That's just being accurate. You know, it's just right. kind of... It's being realistic. Yeah. I want you to clarify what you mean by that, that the self-help and wellness industry won't acknowledge human culpability. What do you mean? I feel like there is an entire industry that re relies on our dissatisfaction of ourselves and our bodies and, and the world and our lives. And instead of saying, there might be parts of that that you created yourself, oh, instead of yeah, saying- Yeah, we don't like to hear that, right. No, instead of saying, you might have some culpability- in your suffering, it might only be 15%, but that's the only fucking 15% you can do anything about, right? Instead of like looking at ourselves and going, maybe in, they sort of offer a lot of goods and services <laughs> to make you feel better about yourself instead. Yeah, okay. And I'm like, look, unless you're a single mom working two jobs on the verge of poverty, blah, 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 I seriously doubt you, you know, white women at the yoga conference, that lack of self-care is your actual fucking problem. <laughs> but you. what do we, but what do we want to hear? You know mm -hmm. what you need? You just need more self-care. Mm -hmm. And it's like when the, when, your whole world is about you anyway. That's not your problem. That's not your problem. Yeah, no, no. We don't like to hear responsibility. Nope. If it if if there is a quote solution spiritually that doesn't in some way afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted, mm -hmm. it might for a short time give you a sense of well-being, but it will never actually heal you. Hallelujah. Yeah. Well, I, I, that for me is the bottom line of recovery that I was taught by a woman who went before me, didn't mm -hmm. think of it myself, wouldn't have allowed it to be true myself, but it yeah. was that I'm responsible for my experience. 
it's, it's not my fault. Lots of things are my fault. My trauma is not my fault. Right. My all, right. you know, million right. other things, right. but I'm right. responsible for my experience. Right. Right. Instead of an external locus of control for every single aspect of your life. I mean, the- and how, what relief at first it pissed me off, but then it's like, how else do you have any freedom? You don't. Or, or any kind of agency. agency. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it's just, it, it is amazing. I, I, I'll tell you how I know this all to be true is because my podcast, The Confessional, I stopped doing it because it was impossible to book. It was impossible to book guests for it, to find people who, A, had a real confession, that were like right. something that was an actual confession, B, were self-aware enough to talk about their own culpability, to really dig into what stories they were telling themselves, mm-hmm. what they learned as a result, all that stuff. And C, were willing to have it be public it is almost impossible. I even went on Twitter. I was like, hey, do you guys listen to the confessional? Do you have a good confession? If so, you know, that involves you causing harm in some way to somebody else email this email and we got 30 self-pitying emails 30 emails that day <laughs> of people who were just Guys, waiting for someone to assignment <laughs> to ask them how somebody hurt them and I, those stories are readily available to us at all times yeah. and and there is a part of our process where you have to go yep this happened this happened this happened i'm going to deal with i'm going to tell the truth about that. Um, But victimhood is optional. It is. Mm -hmm. It truly is. And that's not blaming the victim. That's saying you are so much more in your life than that one thing that somebody did to you. Also, take some responsibility for your your life now. You can. It's it's also, yeah, I mean, we could go on about this for hours, but it's the only self-respecting message to give anyone too, you yeah. know, so. But you're not going to want any, fr- I mean, the worst line in the big book is talking about resentments. And it says, if you look back far enough, you will find that at some point in the past, you made a decision based on self that put you in a position to be harmed. I'm like, you will never become an influencer on Instagram with that kind of shit. (laughs) Never, never. Nobody's going to be like, yeah, bitch. Yes, this. Thank you. (laughs) Fire emoji. Yes. Yeah. Louder. No, people don't want to hear that. I know it's funny. I'm writing a book right now and the chapter that was the hardest for me to write in this conversation is actually really helping because it's about nine things, nine statements. And the first one is it's not your fault, but the second one is it is your responsibility. Yeah, And that's been the hardest chapter for me to write four Mm -hmm. months, just trying to just giving myself the permission to say what I, what Mm -hmm. I feel is true because I'm so, I I know the, the feedback will be everything you're talking about. But you know what I want more than anything, more than a feeling of well being, more than, um, uh, higher self-esteem. You know what I want more than anything? Fucking freedom. I want freedom. I want to be free from my shit. I want to be free from my resentments. I want to be free from the things other people did that hurt mm. me. I want to all of it. I want to be free from all that bondage more than I want, you know, a sense of well-being or affirmation. Yeah. And it's like this is instead of having a culture of of real true honesty 
we have this culture of affirmation. And it's fine. It's not horrible. Only gets you so far. Speaking of freedom, (laughs) what does freedom look like to you now? What what does joy look like to you now? That's a good question. Today. We'll just go with today. (laughs) Yeah. You know, a lot of it is acceptance. It really is. Like, there's a thing in the big book, it says we ceased fighting everything and everyone, you know. Mm. And so there are things that I cannot, it's that serenity prayer thing. There are so many things I cannot change. So I think this acceptance, this going, because again, when I say being in the present moment, what's the most real thing? All those things are just true. And so any fighting I do about what's true doesn't get me very far, but it really distracts me from what might be true in the moment that is beautiful. And I'm not noticing it because I'm too wrapped up in something else. You know, there, there is always an invitation in the, in the present moment. There's something, there's some invitation to notice something beautiful, to be grateful for something that you forgot to notice that day. There's always that. It's so simple. So like my whole like joy, happiness, hope, there's nothing terribly extravagant about it, man. It is really the simple stuff. And I was listening to a happiness researcher saying people think we will have this feeling of joy in the future when our housing remodel is finally done, when we finally replace the car, when we get that graduate degree. We think these big things out there that we want, the fulfillment of our plans and desires and aspirations, that will be the thing that unlocks this feeling of joy and contentment in our lives and happiness researchers tell us that is not true. The thing that allows joy and happiness in our lives is how much enjoyment and contentedness do we have in our daily regular quotidian lives? That's it. All right. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you want more TMST, head on over to tmstpod.com and become a member. Members get access to the full uncut versions of these conversations, previews of upcoming guests, invites to join me for members-only events, and access to our members-only community where I hang out a lot. We decided from the beginning to make this an independent project. We don't have sponsors and we don't run ads. This means that we can make the show all about you and not what our sponsors or advertisers want. But it also means we're 100% reliant on your support. So my request and my invitation is simple. Support the show by becoming a member or you can simply make a one-time donation of as little as $5. I cannot stress this enough. You can make a huge difference for as little as $5 please head over to tmstpod.com right now. Tell Me Something True is engineered and mixed by Paul Chufo. 
Michael Elsesser and I dreamed up this show and we're looking forward to joining you online and next time on Tell Me Something True. Thank you.